Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Please read with me the verses in bold. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because he, his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. By this uh, point in our sermon series, you may be thinking, I have heard this sermon before. If you are just joining us, we are in the eighth installment of a sermon series in the book of 1 John that we are calling For the Love of God, Community, and the World. And if you've been with us over the past eight weeks, you may be saying these sermons all sound the same. They all bleed into the other. Like a song on repeat or a movie we watch again, this may be a sermon that you have heard before. The Apostle John says much the same as he writes, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. A groundhog day of sermons. I've always wondered what it might be like to preach the same sermon four weeks in a row. Should I? You know, until we perfect what it is that the Bible is teaching in that portion of Scripture. I mean, isn't that how we watch tutorials on YouTube? I have been using this video sharing website particularly as a step-by-step -step tutorial to fix stuff around the house. Now, here is my video search history. Well, at least the last three. How to replace car battery safely. <laughs> Don't judge me. I actually didn't write safely. I just said how to replace car battery. <laughs> how to change a headlight bulb on my Toyota. 
how to replace sun visor on Honda CRV. <laughs> I have a few others, you know, uh, related to home improvement projects. My family will tell me not to do these things because I'm going to ruin the house and ruin our cars, but I do. The value of YouTube. But you get it. We watch a section and then pause, and then we do it. We restart the video and do the next parts. And if we miss something, we remind and start all over again. Or if we need further instruction, we We'll look for another video until we fix whatever needs, whatever it is that needs to be fixed. But what if we approached reading the Bible like this? Or every sermon that we hear, push pause and then go and practice that and then come back to it when you're ready to move on. To tell you the truth, if this is how I approached each sermon, Preach it until I myself have perfected what I'm preaching. My friends, we might be in this passage for a very, very long time. What we have here is a letter. A letter written by the Apostle John, a, a called a general epistle. There are other epistles written to churches or to specific individuals, but this is a general letter or a general epistle written not to one particular church or an individual, but probably to a number of churches spread across Asia Minor that was passed down from one church to the next. So many churches read this letter, but one thing about this letter is that it has a repetitive feeling or a repetitive feel to it as you read through it, largely emphasizing, one, the love of God. Pastor Brad Pete preached last Sunday, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Or the other part of the letter to 1 John, love for one another. As we'll look at this morning, chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So you get it. I mean, it sounds like a sermon on repeats. It sounds like a sermon that you've already heard. It sounds like something that uh, isn't, necessarily new. I mean, we, I had a chance to preach this, almost this identical sermon in chapter two, just three weeks ago. And so it sounds eerily similar to that message, a sermon on love, a sermon on repeat, right? The love of God and love for one another. I mean, it's so simple. It's the two commandments, right? The Greatest commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, nothing new. Nothing new. You're ready. You can pack up your stuff and leave if you want to. It's another sermon on love. But if you've come today, again, having mastered the subject of love, please feel free to ignore all that I have to say this morning. I won't mind. It will not hurt my feelings. But there are two words that we'll look at this morning, two words that are repeated more often than any other in the first letter of John. They are the words love and know. The word love is found according to BibleGateway.com. I counted them all 46 times in 26 verses of this short book. The other word to know can be found 38 times, again, if you include knowledge, that's 39, across 32 verses. 
That's quite a few times for a short book. And if you can't tell, John is making a point of these two words. He'll tie these words together beautifully in the next chapter. And we'll get there in a couple of weeks. But in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. No pun intended, but this is how we know. In 1 John, the concept of knowledge is crucial. It's much more than an intellectual to know. But an experimental or a experiential or a relational type of knowledge, not a knowledge of formulas or theorems of math or geometry, but a I know this person or I've experienced this in my life kind of know. So in our section this morning, the word to know occurs four times. Again, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Verse 24, the end of the section, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Yes, my friends, there are so many things There are so much that we do not know and cannot know, and yet there is much that we can and should. And so in 1 John, the concept of knowledge is crucial. John's purpose for his letter, as he'll state in 1 John 5, verse 13, is very clear. He says, I write these things to you. I mean, he gives us the purpose at the very end of his letter. He says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants to make very clear that knowing is so important, knowing not just the theology, as I have mentioned, not just knowing how to obey the commandments, but also knowing how we are to live that life in love of neighbor. And so as you read the first letter of John, you may come to recognize and love his style of writing and use his contrasts and his comparisons, and again, I'll point out at least five in this chapter. Two we covered last week with Pastor Brad, and three we'll look at this morning uh, in verses 11 through 24. I'll just kind of re-emphasize what Brad mentioned last week. He says, one, there's the children of the devil versus the children of God. Or verses one through 10, there's lawlessness and there's righteousness. Or how about these? Again, these are not new themes, but these are repeated. How about hate versus love? Or death versus life? Or Cain versus Christ? Well, this, the, the key verse for our time together this morning is 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Let's look at that. This will hold our whole section together. In verse 14, John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We find some of our key words here. This is where it all begins. Having having said that, I'd like to point your attention to the words that precede the word know in the occurrence following verse 14. So again, in verse 16 and 19 and verse 24, you will find these two words preceding the word know. And it's the words by this. 
In my humble opinion, those two words are the most important of this whole section. By this. Right? I mean, the words know and love, the ideas of children of the devil versus the children of God, lawlessness and righteousness, hate and love, death and life. And I think are these two words, by this. And this is important because, again, as you read through it, John is not speaking of love as the cause of our entrance into eternal life. We are not called to love to inherit salvation. We are not called to love as a way to merit some kind of favor with God. But rather, two things. One, as evidence of our salvation, evidence of our regeneration, evidence of our being passed, passing from death to life. And two, evidence of our escaping condemnation. Isn't that what John is saying here? We pass from death to life. So in other words, love is not the cause, but the evidence of God's love towards us. This is the characteristic of those who are children of God. And I cannot stress that enough. When we read through Scripture, we're, we get into this, into this crazy spaces in the Scriptures that say that we think says that we ought to love God more or love our neighbor more in order to merit some sort of salvation or to inherit eternal life or to have good standing before God. That we do these things in order to. But those words, by this, is critical in understanding these parts of Scripture because, again, by this reminds us that, again, that work has been accomplished for us already in Christ, and what by this means is that the characteristics of love and compassion and pity, um, submission, all these things are evidence of our possessing eternal life already by this. Not the cause, but the evidence of God's love towards us. So he tells us in verse 14, he who does not abide in death, if you love the brethren, if you love the things that God loves, if you don't move in the sphere of love, then you move in the sphere of death. So John goes on to say in verse 15, to be more specific, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now note a couple of things with me. In verse 14, he talks about not loving. And in verse 15, he talks about hating. And what John does here is he interchanges the words. And he says, not loving and hating are the same thing. That's pretty radical. Not loving and hating are the same thing. John's ideas are interchangeable. He says you either do one or the other. You either love or you hate. There's no middle ground. There's loving and then there's hating. So John says to us that as, uh, as followers of Jesus, those who have been loved by God, those who are children of God, again, had, ought to have characteristics of the one who saved us, the one who loved us. And again, John will repeat this and will say, we love because God first loved us. To love or to hate. And then John goes on further to note that 
to not love someone is to be a murderer. And this is pretty radical, right? Again, it's not just uh, not loving equals hating, but hating also equals being a murderer. Maybe that's gone a little bit too far, but that's the same way that Jesus talks about hate. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, I'm sure many of us here in the room are thinking, whew, I'm off the hook. But he says, and I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He says the two are interchangeable. John, John goes on to say that to not love someone is to be a murderer. You see, love is a characteristic of a child of God. It is not characteristic of a child of the devil. It's inconceivable to John that we can both identify ourselves as children of God and also hate. And he says these are incompatible. I mean, how many of us have ever gotten angry or have hated someone? You see, you and I both know that enmity is a feature of human social existence since the beginning of time, way back to the very first people. And believe it or not, Christians are not immune to its ugliness. I think I said a couple of weeks ago that uh, God made us in his image, right? And again, I talked about how uh, God created us with this capacity and this capacity can make us both majestic and also monstrous. We struggle with this very idea for some of us every day. It's a sermon that we might need to hear repeatedly as selfishness, not selflessness, is often our default mode. It's hard to love someone who you don't particularly like. Demonstrating Christ-like love is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So, so far, so good. We read through this, and then it seems like John takes an, uh, an unexpected turn in his writing. And then John says in verse 12, don't be like Cain. <laughs> it's so strange. I mean, it's just strange how it's inserted right there in verse 12. Do not be like Cain who murdered his brother. It's a familiar tale with a tragic ending. John assumes that his readers know the story of Cain and Abel. And just in case you don't, Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve, the first two humans in existence. Both brothers offer a sacrifice to God. God accepts Abel's offering and rejects Cain's. Cain's offering, uh, God rejects Cain's offering, and Cain becomes depressed, and it becomes angry. This angers Cain, and so Cain, in his envy, took out his anger on Abel, his brother, and brutally murders him. That's the story. But the apostle adds motive and reason for the murder. In verse 12, we should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And again, I love how John asks the question, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Just a few takeaways, if I can. If, if anything, it's about application of the word, if I can. Just a couple of points of, of application. If you drop down to verse 15, it says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. The difference between murder and hatred in the heart is just the outward act. Someone once said that uh, anger or hatred is just the embryonic form of murder. It starts somewhere, and it starts right there. Envy or hatred, anger or malice. And what John seems to be saying is, don't be like Cain. Don't be filled with malice. Incidentally, the issue in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 is whether a person can, can, continue, can continue being a murderer and still have eternal life in him. We know that murderers can be forgiven and saved when they repent and receive Christ. The murderer mentioned here did not once have eternal life and then lose it. He never had eternal life to begin with. And so as you read through this section, there is a, po there is a question that's posed to us by John himself. Again, he asks, and why did he murder him? And he seems to ask a very similar question when we read through the story of Cain. Are you like Cain? Or my friends, are you like Christ? Verse 17 gives us the, the second way people live like Cain. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Cain-like people murder they hate on others. They are also indifferent to the needs of the needy. That's why we can say with an uncaring indifference toward others is the opposite of love. No pity. Sees the person in need and does not respond. That's how Cain responded. That's how Cain was. He was stingy in his heart. He cared more about how he felt than about how God was worshipped. He felt more envy toward his brother than wanting to change and, and do likewise and give an offering to a, God, to, a, to a God that was pleasing and acceptable. But before I get carried away, let's not spend too much time on Cain. <laughs> because as you and I both know, it's really about Christ. And what John does for us here is, is he gives us, this, gives us this example of Cain, this murderer who had hatred or envy in his heart, and says, don't be like that. Don't be filled with malice. Don't be stingy. But he gives us a different example. He gives us the example of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, by this we know. By this we know love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what does brotherly love look like? What does sacrificial love look like? For one, when you know Christ, 
when you know the love of the Father, when you know that you are a child of God, it should show. To say it another way, the evidence that we have been born again is when we find ourselves loving the unlovable or the unlovely. Things start to change from the inside out. Our affections begin to change. What we love begins to change. And we begin to love the things that our Father loves. This is how we know what love is. And again, John gives us a definition of love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Cain took life. Jesus gave his life. And this is the ultimate definition of love. He gave his life, and again it says here, for us. Which means he died in our place, on our behalf. To know what it means to love, look at the life and the death of Jesus. And so what John seems to be saying here is not just, again, if you want to be more clear about how to love, I mean, if we're going to be like the rich young ruler in the book of Luke that asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life and find all the loopholes for how we're to love our neighbor? If you're there and perhaps that's the question that you may be asking, that's okay. We come to that place and say, well, what does that love look like? And John says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Or the way John puts it here, by this we know love. Jesus, he gave his life on our behalf. This is not a, I love my family, I love my wife dearly, I love my children dearly my community dearly, my friends dearly. This is not even a, I would die for them. I would. My own children, I, I don't know what situation would call for that. But being heroic, I will say yes now. I will die for them if it called for it. Uh, but that's not what this is either. Uh, that's not what it is. It's not a... Uh, a martyrdom kind of love. This is a take your place kind of love. It's that you would trade places, you the innocent one would trade places with a guilty one. Or vice versa, if you were to see it from the standpoint of human perspective, it would be the guilty one That's, being, that's trading places with the innocent party and what kind of uh, effect that has on your heart when you know the, the great love that the Father has shown to us that we should be called children of God. It's a love without limits. We're called to have the same kind of love and this is the most difficult part. It's not just love because the whole world does that. But John says that we, have to, we, we are called to have the same kind of love that Jesus has for us. Paul says it in other ways as well when he talks about husbands and wives and says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. 
He gives us a model. He gives us an example and says, well, this is the same kind of love we are to have for others, the same love that Jesus has for us. Cain was all about self-love. Christ is all about selfless love, a love without limits. A love without limits. Well, how about loving lavishly? That we talk about uh, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our finances, the giving of our time, the materials and the moments of time. Let's again ponder verse 17. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You see, we move from the plural, my brothers, to the singular, if anyone. And we move, likewise, from the general to the specific. A stingy Christian is a contradiction in terms. Love isn't always extreme. As I mentioned, it's often practical and quiet. Not always public, but private. I'm reminded of James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, James says, is dead. In verse 18, he continues, John summarizes what it means to love like Jesus loved. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Warm words must be accompanied by warm deeds. Truth is more than something to be believed. It is something to be done. It's so important that we have good theology, but it's even more important that we apply that good theology with our actions and our words. Actions and in truth. The love of God must cause us to live a life of love. And so again, I pose the question to you. Are you like Cain? Or are you like Christ? As I mentioned, this is not a new sermon. You've heard it a million times, I'm sure. You see, a major theme in the book of John, the first, first John, is not just confession, but the exercise of love. For you see, all doctrine leads to application. It has to. The love of God must cause us to live a life of love. How are you doing with that? 